welcome back to another episode. It's Kier here, and a lot of you might know that I recently moved out to Las Vegas, and I'm joined today on this podcast by the very first person that I met here. Um, I actually connected with her on social media about a year ago, and then the first time I came out here, I reached out and was like, hey, like we should get together, and she said, hey, I'm actually speaking at this Women's Manifest event, and you should totally come, and I was like, okay, that's amazing, so I went, and I listened to her speak, and we hung out for a little while, and she is just a really amazing, upbeat person, she's got a positive attitude, and she's filled with a lot of nutritional knowledge, and so I invited her on the podcast today. And so without any further ado, I'm going to introduce my new friend, Katie, and have her tell you guys a little bit about herself. Ah, Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here, and I'm so excited that you're in Vegas. It's pretty incredible what social media can do. So welcome to Vegas, and I can't wait to get together some more while you're here. Um, But yeah, like Kira said, my name's Katie. You can find me at Fueling Former Athletes on Instagram, and I'm a registered dietitian, and I'm really passionate about helping people feel confident in making food choices and also feel good in their own skin. Nice. And talk a little bit more about your specific niche. So my specific niche is retired female athletes, if I go real specific, um, that are retiring from aesthetic sports. So that's anything from synchronized swimming, which is what I retired from, gymnastics, dance, cheerleading, ice skating, even things like volleyball and track and field where um, you might be wearing not a lot of uniform and could struggle with some some body image issues. Those are really the people that I'm aiming to help the most. Yeah, so I could imagine being in a sport like, you know, uh, swimming and especially even bodybuilding where, you know, you have some pretty extreme pressures of being lean Um And I know it's like for me coming from the bodybuilding world, we're on stage in a teeny tiny bikini, but it's not like we're in that bikini, like for all of our practices or training and all that. Like we wear regular gym clothes and we wear leggings and we can cover ourselves for most of our training and most of our time. But it's a little bit different when it comes to swimming, when you're always in a swimsuit. So can you talk a little bit about that type of environment? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you did bring up bodybuilding as well, because that is a huge arena um, that I have a heart for. I didn't personally do bodybuilding, but I do have some friends who were in that field um, and kind of experienced that world. And I've I've learned from them what it's kind of like. But absolutely. So I just remember, I'll give you a little bit of a, a story. I remember walking on deck my first day, when we say deck, I mean the pool deck, (laughs) Uh, walking on deck the first day at Ohio State as a freshman on the synchronized swimming team and I just felt like immense shame because I didn't feel like my body was good enough and if I'm being honest that feeling never really left me the entire time my all four years there Um, so every morning when I would have to undress put on my swimsuit and walk on deck It was a mental battle just to get myself through those doors. Um, And part of that was pressure from myself and part of that was pressure from the culture of the sport. But it was definitely a daily struggle that I felt, um, thought it would go away when I retired. It didn't. Now it did. But that is after a lot of 
a lot of mindset work and, and um, self-identity searching and all of that. So yeah, it was hard. Yeah, I bet. And I'd like to get into that a little later on, but for now, um, now you went to school for dietetics, correct? I did. Yes. I started. Oh yeah. 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 Sorry. (laughs) Did you feel even more pressure from that? Like thinking, Oh, like I'm this big nutritionist, like I should know what I'm doing. And you know, like I'm the one on the team that, that should know this. Oh, a hundred percent. You really hit the nail on the head. I was like, I'm an athlete. I'm studying nutrition. What's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's happening? So yeah, that played a big part into it as well. Yeah. And, and just to throw this out there, you probably, and I know this from just my own experience, you probably didn't not look good. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's more of like a mental thing where you're just like, uh, like picking yourself apart, but you probably looked better than, I don't know, like 80% of the population. Yeah. I mean, we always used to joke on the team, like, I can't wait to be retired when like looking normal is acceptable. Um, mm. You know, cause we, we knew that these standards that we were held to were just way crazy ridiculous. Um, but I, I will say that my sophomore year, my coach pulled me aside and she did say, she's like, Hey, you know, we're just a little worried cause you don't really look fit. Um, and that devastated me cause I was trying so hard. So it wasn't that to me, that almost confirmed that it's not just in my head. Like other people are seeing that I don't look quote unquote good for lack of a better term. Um, but it was a lot of mental pressure, but also I, I felt it a little bit externally too. Wow. That's incredible. Did you have any coaches or specialists like on the team that would help you guys with nutrition or was that something that was totally up to you guys? We did have sports dietitians available, which was amazing. Um, And I will say I did not utilize them as much as I should have, partially because when I would go, their recommendations terrified me because of my own nutrition misinformation. Um, I was still in school, so I hadn't quite learned everything yet. But I had one sports dietitian recommend I eat 2,400 calories a day. And I about passed out. I was like, there's no way... I can eat 2,400 calories a day and look good in this swimsuit. Um, Looking back now, I'm like, well, actually, she was probably right. But (laughs) um, So I had a little bit of of resistance there because I didn't feel like they understood what I was going through. So what did your nutrition look like during those competitive swim days? Oh, I can still tell you exactly what I would eat. I would wake up in the morning before practice. I would have a black cup of coffee with a cheese stick, just a cheese stick. (laughs) I would go to practice, (laughs) um, swim for four hours, do land training, have a fruit and nut bar. They sell them in like big boxes at Costco, have a fruit and nut bar between classes. Lunch would be a salad with oil and vinegar, a grilled chicken breast, only tomatoes on top. And dinner would be very similar. Maybe if I was really hungry, a small scoop of rice. Um, and then at night I would, if I'm just being open, I would drink Metamucil and that was my, that was it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I look back and I shudder. How did I even survive? I don't know. I don't know either. Oh my God. Like <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. Guess, oh, wow. Um, but I mean, I'm sure that that was just so normal to you and, and your teammates were probably doing just the same thing, right? Yeah. I remember um, having teammates. It was it was pretty well known that some of my teammates were 
um, using laxatives in an unhealthy way just to try and eliminate anything that they had eaten, um, which I'm also looking back, I'm like, wow, how did we just think like, yeah, that's, that's normal. Um, but it was, it just kind of seemed like the culture and, and it started young. It didn't start just in college. Like this was built up over time. Yeah, of course. But yeah. so what kind of food rules did you set for yourself? I know you talk a lot about that on your Instagram posts and it's very curious to me. So like what, what sort of things did you say? Like, no, I can't have this. Oh, carbs, no carbs. It was like no carbs at all. Um, I mean, the, now looking back, I'm like, well, the fruit and nut bar had carbs in it. But things like pasta and rice and maybe I would have one apple. Apples were a safe fruit for me, but bananas had too much sugar. I even demonized carrots of all things. <laughs> <laughs> I am guilty of doing that too. Don't worry. <laughs> right, right. You know, I'm like, wow, carrots, but, you know, too much sugar. And I, I really misunderstood that, you know, our body actually functions off of sugar, but I was viewing it as the enemy thinking it was going to cause me to gain all of this weight. Um, I also viewed fat in a poor way as well. Like avocados were a no-go. Even salmon at times I felt was too fatty of a fish. So carbs and fats were probably the biggest food rules. Um, I didn't struggle too much with the timing of my food. Like I would, you know, have my dinner late in the evening after practices or things like that. So timing was not really an issue, but the actual food itself was where I really struggled. Hmm. So what happened after you retired from swimming? Like, did these eating habits change? Did the food rules change? They actually got worse, um, but my body couldn't handle it anymore. Um, I just was so hungry all the time, trying to find anything like I remember I would have, um, rice cakes. So right after I retired, right after I retired, I went into my internship. So more nutrition knowledge. Um, but I was still fighting my own internal battle and my body couldn't handle the lack of nutrition anymore. And one, I was getting so tired and struggling with injuries to recover and I had retired and I'm struggling with injuries. <laughs> um, but they, they looked worse. So it was, well, now I'm not working out at all. So forget the fruit and nut bar, forget having the apple, like, you know, maybe a Greek yogurt in the morning. Um, and it, it became a little bit harder until I kind of reached a breaking point. And uh, wow. I was like, I need to, I need to figure something out. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do at that point? Like, was there this, you know, big moment where you were just like, I, I need to do something now? Or was it a gradual thing? Um, I actually remember sitting in my room when I was in my internship after just busting out like 250 abs, maybe it was more because <laughs> I just, I couldn't handle feeling that way anymore. And then thinking like, I can't live this way anymore. I need to make a change. Um, and what a lot of people don't know about me, I don't talk about it too much is I have an autoimmune disorder of my thyroid called Hashimoto's. Um, and so once I actually realized that that might have been playing a part in a lot of my brain fog and feeling fatigued and tired and everything like that. I was able to get my nutrition a little bit more handled. Um, but it was still struggle with the food rules, regardless of the autoimmune disorder. Wow. So talk a little bit about Hashimoto's because I do know a few people who, um, not recently, but you know, figured out that they have that and they, they almost think their life is over <laughs> in a sense. Like, um, so yeah. I'm interested to hear like your take on it. When did you, when were you diagnosed and, and how did that go? 
Sure. So um, a little bit of history. I was actually diagnosed with PCOS um, the summer before I started college. Now, I wasn't really showing too many signs or symptoms other than um, an irregular cycle. Um, And so they're like, oh, it's PCOS. Put me on a bunch of medications. Thought I would be fine. Symptoms didn't improve. So a couple of years later, while I was still in college, I went to my endocrinologist and he tested the antibody level. So my TSH, T3, T4, they didn't look terrible, but they weren't quite normal. And he tested the antibody level and was like, oh, you have Hashimoto's. Um, Here, I'm going to put you on some Synthroid. And I was like, okay, that should help. None of which actually helped. Um, So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disorder of the thyroid, which means your body attacks your thyroid um, and causes it to underproduce the hormones that keep your body functioning. So you have to take synthetic hormone. But one of the biggest impacts that has to do with a lot of autoimmune disorders is inflammation. And there's actually been a pilot study that came out and showed the connection with gluten and the inflammatory markers in Hashimoto's and how eliminating gluten can help. Now, these are all very preliminary studies, so I'm by no means suggesting anyone go gluten-free. Um, but personally, I do follow a gluten-free diet, and I have found immense relief with that. So now, following a gluten-free diet, do you still kind of fear carbs? Or... I don't. <laughs> how no. does that work? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So... Um, Before I went gluten-free, I feared everything. Going gluten-free kind of felt like my life was over at the time (laughs) Um, because I was like, I can't eat anything, but I can actually eat a lot more now. I eat everything now. I eat pastas. I eat breads. I eat donuts and cookies and, you know, whatever it is I want, fruit. Um, But I do it in a way that, like, feels good and The gluten-free for me is more of helping with my brain fog. People might talk about brain fog with Hashimoto's. You kind of feel like you're living in a bubble or I say I feel like I have cotton stuffed in my head. Mm. Um, After being gluten-free for three months, I felt like I was thinking more clearly, um, could remember conversations. I remember my parents saying, we just talked about this. I'm like, no, we didn't. They're like, yeah, we we totally did. Um, So those types of impacts the diet had for me. I hate, I don't like using the word diet, but following gluten-free has been really impactful for my life. And people may say, how can you be gluten-free and live without food rules? Gluten-free for me is a way to honor my body. Um, I don't feel like it's restrictive. I actually feel like it kind of gave me my life back. So That's something amazing. <laughs> something not a lot of people know about me, but yeah. That's that's totally great because what you're doing there is a mindset shift. Instead of saying like, oh, poor me, I have to be gluten-free. It's like, oh my gosh, look at this world of foods that I can eat, you know? Not saying, oh, look at the bad things or look at the things that I can't have, but look at the things that I can eat. And that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it definitely took some time to get there, but it's kind of wild how much more freedom I feel like I have now when I was still, you know, I wasn't eating any gluten-filled <laughs> items when I had food <laughs> rolls anyways, um, but now I can enjoy a burger with a bun with my family and, and feel no guilt or shame or stress at all. Yeah, that's great. Um, one thing I do want to touch on, and I don't want to make this podcast about me, but um, so I feel like I experienced a lot of the same um, things as far as like the brain fog goes 
but my problem was not Hashimoto's you know so like I mean my problem was my hypothalamus didn't feel like it was safe enough to produce the hormones that I needed to produce a period so it was like right it's really amazing how the body will give us those signs and signals that something's not right um and that they don't always mean the same thing so yes a problem in the thyroid could show the same signs as a problem in the hypothalamus as a problem in the gut you know like there's there's so much to the body it's really amazing and you know, we just have to get to the bottom of whatever it is that's bothering us to find the problem and fix it. I, I totally agree. I'm really glad you brought that up because if there's one thing I've learned through my own medical journey, it's to advocate for yourself. You know your body best. And if something doesn't feel right, I, I genuinely feel like PCOS may have been a misdiagnosis. Um, mm. They wanted I- to diagnose me with PC- PCOS too. And I was like, um, I really don't think that's it. Yeah, they they kind of just think, oh, this kind of works, even if you don't necessarily fit all of the criteria, you fit some of it. And then there's just medications thrown at you and you say good to go. But, you know, I, I love how you really took control. I love following your story. I mean, I, hopefully, you know that I'm one of your biggest fans. But like, <laughs> I love how you really took control of your own health. And I think that's something that we don't see a lot of we just accept what doctors say. And it's like, if you know, something's wrong, advocate for yourself right speak up and and get to the bottom of it yeah um, but yeah so true so true um so now you talk a little bit about kind of eating foods in a way where you're not feeling restricted because you're not having these food rules um and you talk a lot about intuitive eating on your instagram can you explain what intuitive eating is and how it's different from eating whatever the hell you want absolutely so Intuitive eating kind of has this rep where it's just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, whatever it is you want. And while you could probably chisel it down to that if you really wanted, the biggest thing missing there is that it's all about honoring your body. And I think that's a big part that is missing um, from from social media when we talk about intuitive eating. So I I always like to use the example of, since I'm an athlete, if I'm going to go out on a run, I know I need to give my body fuel Sure, I could have the cupcake if I wanted the cupcake, but I know that maybe the apple with peanut butter is going to better serve me on this run than if I come back and I still want the cupcake, I can have the cupcake. Mm. But it's doing it in a way that's going to honor your body and nourish it for what it needs right there um, and not necessarily in a restrictive way. Right. So it really helped me shift my mindset when it came to how I picked foods. So now when I, when I go to pick foods, I'm like, well, how is this going to serve me? Um, is it going to nourish me? And and maybe sometimes it is just serving your mental health. I mean, going out for, um, drinks with the girls is awesome because I don't feel stressed. I feel like I can eat what it is that I want, but I also know that salads and I hate to stereotype salads, but salads (laughs) do actually, they do actually make me feel great. And so that's what I love about them is they make me feel good. Maybe salads don't make you feel good. So you don't have to eat salads, but that's what it gets down to it. And when you really tune into your body, it's crazy what your body craves. Um, it doesn't tend to be the pizza. It, it tends to be the veggies and, and the whole grains and all of that. Yeah, I can totally agree with that. Like, I know that I feel better when I eat cleaner foods, not like processed, greasy pizza um, or anything like that. And I think that's just a matter of, you know, 
having that experience and mm-hmm. and recognizing the experience because I don't think that intuitive eating is something that you can just be like all right I'm gonna intuitive eat tomorrow like it it takes a level of self-awareness that 100%. you know like you need to put effort into it's not a mindless thing right and so there's there's 10 principles of intuitive eating for those that that aren't aware and the last principle is gentle nutrition the reason it's the last principle is because you do have to work through all the mindset stuff before you get to the point where you can make fueling, nourishing decisions based on the nutrition aspect. So um, sometimes that piece is also forgotten because it is that last principle. It's there because you got to work through everything else before you can kind of get there um, and know that you're choosing the apple for nourishment and not restriction, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. So let's back up a little bit and um, talk a little bit more about how you made that change, that necessarily necessary, like kind of lifestyle change and mindset shift to, to be able to intuitively eat. Like you said, you said that you had that moment where it's like, I need to change something, something I'm tripping over my words now, but (laughs) what, what exactly did you do? So it wasn't automatic in the slightest. The first change I did make was going gluten-free. Um, my mom had read some research. She had suggested it. I was very anti because I was like, I don't have celiac. I don't need to be gluten-free. Uh, I'm evidence-based. There's no evidence, but now there is evidence. Um, but so going gluten-free helped me to start to feel better. Even though I was still living in my food rules, some of my symptoms from Hashimoto's were starting to feel better. So I started to feel a little more confident in being able to make decisions for my health in terms of nutrition. Um, I didn't actually learn about intuitive eating until I hopped on Instagram and started to see dietitians post about this. Um, so while I was still working through the new gluten-free, I'm struggling with my food rules. I know I can't be this restrictive, but what can I do? Intuitive eating kind of came in. And so I bought the book, um, very skeptical. I was like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> very, I like to be open about that because I think a lot of people maybe think, oh, you're a dietitian. So you just intuitive eating. Yeah, for sure. It's easy for you. Um, no, I was very skeptical of it. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's a first. great point. Um, which I think a lot of a lot of people will agree that they may have felt the same way. Um, so the more I read it, I was like, oh, my gosh, is she talking directly to me? Um, and the more I read the research behind it, because I am still very much evidence-based. You know, I, I believe in, in science while I also believe in having to understand your own body too. Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a try. So I started by slowly integrating some of my fear foods back in. It wasn't um, just a free-for-all because that, that really overwhelmed me. But my dad made pasta one night and I was like, okay, I'll have some pasta with my with my salad. And I finished that meal and was like, whoa, I'm so satisfied. Like I feel so good after that meal. Um, and then the more I started to include foods in and realize that it actually made me feel good and that you didn't die. Oh my God. I didn't (laughs) die. And you know, intuitive eating is not weight based at all, but I do like to mention that like adding these foods back in, I, I didn't gain weight. Um, I'm actually a smaller size now than I was when I swam and that's not everyone's story. But sometimes, you know, a lot of people do struggle with weight and I want to acknowledge that because that's, that's a very real thing. Um, but I, I, intuitive eating actually 
allowed me to get a metabolism back <laughs> as well. Yeah. Do you um, think it's yeah. partly because, you know, your body might have been lacking in nutrients and then once you fed it, it was like, oh, I could I could breathe. I could do stuff. I feel safe and, and kind of allowed you to drop that extra weight. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, um, you know, I, I do also believe in the set point theory mm-hmm. because I'm I'm not anywhere near what my quote unquote ideal body weight is. But I know I'm at my ideal weight for me. That makes me feel great. Um, but intuitive eating also helped me to kind of accept that and know that like a number doesn't really define how I'm feeling. And so that's kind of what helped me, um, work through all of that as well. Cause body image is, is huge. And I think one of the missing pieces is, is lack of acknowledgement of how big a part that plays into our food choices. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point about the set point. Um, I only recently kind of came around to this um, thinking, I guess you could say. Can you tell us like a little bit more about set point, what it means and and how that plays a role? Yeah, absolutely. So the set point theory, um, and it is still a theory, is that everyone has this weight that their body is happiest at, um, where it can metabolically function, you can function energy wise, you feel good mentally. Um, So it is really about the physiology more so than the appearance. Um, and the belief is that when you're at your set point weight, that's where you're going to be able to eat in a nourishing and enjoyable way and not really fluctuate too much. Everybody's body fluctuates, you know, two to five pounds every day. That's kind of just natural. Um, but this is where you stay without struggle. Mm, yeah. And that's kind of what I found to be the most relieving of it. I don't have to stress about you know, overeating or undereating or whatever it is, like my body feels good here and I can honor it at this place. So that's kind of the idea of set point theory is that it's a different weight for everybody. Um, and I really like to think of Ashley Graham. Are you familiar with Ashley? Yeah, Graham? she's great. <laughs> she's awesome. Um, but you know, she, she works out, she fuels her body and like, that's just kind of where her body is. And so that's kind of the idea behind set point theory is some people's bodies function better at you know, you you have this weight that your body functions best at, and that's where you can feel the most comfortable and don't have to struggle to keep it there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now how does someone get started with intuitive eating? So I would of course recommend finding a professional that can help you, but if that's not something that's feasible for you, I would start with the book. Um, Start reading the book and start small it can seem really overwhelming, especially if you're someone like me who was really entrenched in food rules to just say, well, screw it. I'm just going to eat all the things. Um, so start small, like start introducing one fear food back in at a time and seeing how it makes you feel. And the biggest thing I will say is you have to be honest with yourself. Um, because if you're not being honest with yourself, only you know how foods truly make you feel. And whether you're picking foods out of a restrictive mindset or a nourishing mindset. Even when I'm working with a client, you know, I can't say, you know, you picked the apple because it was nourishing. Maybe they did pick it because it was restrictive. So you have to be honest with yourself and start small. Yeah. Do you ever work with clients who come from like a calorie counting or macro counting background and they're just like so obsessed with the numbers and they want to try intuitive eating, but they're just so scared to like put down the phone. A hundred percent. So I have a client who 
tracked in my fitness pal religiously. And instead of just saying, okay, we'll stop tracking because that's extremely overwhelming. I, I was a my fitness pal addict. And I actually, you know, I think my fitness pal can be beneficial in terms of if someone who's actually struggling to get enough, maybe it can help them identify how much you need, but you have to make that decision yourself. If it's something that's obsessive, start small. Maybe just don't track breakfast, you know, for a couple of days a week, then don't track breakfast and lunch and then don't track breakfast, lunch and dinner, and then move from not tracking two days a week to three days a week. So you slowly wean yourself away instead of just cold turkey, putting it down because that's just going to cause more anxiety. And the whole goal is to get rid of that anxiety and be able to live in a more peaceful place. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, um, so for me, after my competitive days, like I, I slowly started that intuitive eating approach where I didn't track as much, like I would kind of track here and there and then not for a few days and start tracking again and, and like on and off kind of thing just yeah. to make sure that I was eating enough. And then eventually like I just stopped tracking completely. And I think what actually happened was that I wasn't eating enough because I just kind of like went back to that old mindset of like, I need to not be eating so much because I'm not training as much as I was in my com competitive days. And so I think that actually like almost in a way I wasn't completely honoring my body the way that intuitive eating should. Um, and I wasn't doing it necessarily right. So I think for me personally, like tracking macros helps me to eat enough. Um, but I could see how for some people that's the opposite. No, for sure. And I'm really glad you brought that up because um, sometimes too, like being a dietitian and working in this field, I can tell you the calories in pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. So a lot Same. of people, <laughs> right, right? I know you work. It's like, like now, yeah. like I don't necessarily need to track, but like I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so if someone has come from that space and they're used to, they know how many calories are in things, they may still be mentally tracking it. Um, so if you need to come from a place of where you have to eat more to make sure you're fueling your body, you're having a hard time honoring your hunger and fullness, or maybe you can't even recognize hunger and fullness. Um, tracking That's from that standpoint, point. you know, some, like sometimes we ignore it for so long, we forget what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't like to, I really like to say there's no black and white. Um, and nutrition right now is very, it, it's very much like the whole country. We're very polarized. <laughs> and so, yes. um, if, if tracking helps you to make sure you're eating enough while you're str still trying to understand what your body needs, just make sure you're being honest with yourself for the reason you're tracking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with like going back and forth with tracking yeah. and then intuitive eating and kind of just like doing a balance and check in a sense. Um, and yeah, like it just, you know, you, there's nothing wrong with doing what works for you and then changing it up and doing something different. I don't know. Like, that's just kind of where I'm going. No, I agree. Nutrition is individualized. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, what works for me may not work for you. And that's okay. But finding what does work for you and making sure that you're being honest that yes, this is actually working for me and it is improving my life. That's the biggest thing, whether that's tracking, that's intuitive eating, you know, what works for you and makes your life enjoyable, livable and sustainable. Yeah. And 
this is what I was trying to say. What works for you right now might not work for you in, let's say, six months. So, oh, yes, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> totally, totally. Our, we, we get older, our bodies change, like how we fuel it might need to change, too. Exactly. Yeah, totally yeah. agree with that. Cool. So um, where can people find more about you and your coaching and all that good stuff? Yeah. So I'm definitely most present on Instagram at fueling.former.athletes. Um, I do have a website, spotastrongnutrition.com. Um, but like I said, I'm most active on Instagram. I, I try to be as responsive as I can. Um, so feel free to send me a DM, comment on a post, whatever it might be. I love to connect with with everyone, which is why we have this friendship, which is awesome. <laughs> yes, totally. Like I said, I'm so happy to have a friend here in Vegas. My very first friend, Katie. <laughs> yes. I know. I'm so excited. We're going to need to go for coffee or go hiking or all the things. Or go out for drinks and a cheeseburger <laughs> with a bun. That, that too. Yes. The bun with the burger. Yes. Totally. As long as it's gluten-free. <laughs> True. True. Which most places, I do have to say, it's a lot easier to eat gluten-free now nowadays than it did a long time ago oh my god Um, it's so true like there are a lot of places restaurants that actually do make those accommodations for you and like it's so much easier now you're right yeah and I think that's part of the reason why I don't feel restricted because it it is so easy to eat whatever I want gluten-free yeah all you have to do is ask yeah exactly (laughs) don't be afraid to ask (laughs) right key tip of the day don't be afraid to ask yeah (laughs) but anyway thank you so much for being here I really enjoyed having you and you know just sharing your amazing knowledge and experience with my followers and listeners and all of that good stuff and I really hope that we can connect and and keep this amazing relationship Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I love the work that you're doing. I think it's fantastic and so, so needed. Thank you. Right back at you, girl. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If there's anything that resonated with you or you have any further questions about today's topic, please feel free to reach out to either me or Katie on Instagram and let us know what you're thinking. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend and leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes and let me know what you think. 